I want to talk to you this morning about one of the hardest things for me to do in my life. I'm, I'm coming back, um, both practically uh, and spiritually. So, have you ever missed bin day? Hands up if you've ever missed bin day. A few hands, okay. In my house, if Wendy Massey, who was on stage earlier on, if Wendy Massey wasn't, wasn't in our house, bin day is something that would be missed on a, on a regular basis. Now, I, didn't, I, I wasn't alive. Indeed, if I had been alive, I'd have been living in a different country during the three-day week. But I understand that there were bin bags everywhere, for those of you who remember it. And, and I don't know what it's like, especially now, we've got these smaller black, uh, you know, we've got the smaller kind of, uh, shall we call them the, the classic bin? The classic, you know the, you know the one I'm on about? The one that the stuff goes in that's going to landfill. We've got smaller ones these days. And there's seven of us in our house. So we can, we can fill one up in a fortnight quite quickly because they only ever go fortnightly. And if we missed a fortnight, you know, that bin the next week would be fairly stuffed. And, and if we missed a fortnight, you know, or if we missed, uh, if we forgot the food waste uh, on a weekly basis and in weather like this, you know, you could imagine what it would be like the next week. So, you know, so missing, missing, um, missing bin day is, is a big thing. Uh, it doesn't happen in my house because Wendy Massey is in charge and nothing gets missed in my house uh, at all. And bin day being one of those things. Um, but I wonder how many of us in our spiritual life uh, spend a lot of time missing bin day. I wonder, I wonder how many of us spend a lot of our time missing bin day. Uh, and and if the talk, if you take notes, we're going, to go, we're going to go to the scriptures in a moment, the talk is entitled, Don't Miss Bin Day. Don't Miss Bin Day. And we uh, live in a world uh, that wants our best. So it wants our best, and it wants us to show off our best. So, we'd, you know, we'd want me to kind of like go like that and try and take a selfie and make sure it's the August Bank holiday weekend so there's not that many people over here. So no offense, I would do it that way because there's more people on sat on this side. And then I'd take a picture and I'd go, hey, you know. And we live in a world that wants us, wants, it's always wanted our best. And increasingly so, it's more and more image conscious. It's always been image conscious, but we now have more and more tools at our disposal. And the whole point is that we are supposed to show our best all the time. Uh, and then what we do is we hide away our worst, the stuff that we would put in our bin. We stick it in our bin. Now, the problem with that is, is, is we live in a world where we were made to connect. Uh, we were made to connect fully with one another and fully with God. But if when I'm connecting with you, I'm only showing you my best. So we're in that season where... Um, uh, most, you know, you've, you do your Facebook post when you get back from holidays. I've done that. And people say to you, lovely holiday. And some of you have today. Thank you very much. And it was a lovely holiday. But what you don't see is you don't see, you don't see the five-way meltdown at lunchtime in Paris in the rain uh, when, when, it's, when Jonathan Massey works out that we're not going through Paris in the order that he had determined we needed to go through Paris. You know, you don't, you, you know that, that's what we do. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we're going to talk about this one later. You, you don't see the seven and a half hour car journey that became a 13 and a half hour car journey because all of France was deciding to move along the same road at the same time that we were and, and what was going on, you know, in 32 degree heath. Um, we, we live in a world that shows our best. But if when I connect with you, I only connect with my best, am I really connecting with you at all? If I put all my other stuff in here and hide it away, So that's one of the problems with the world. The other problem is these bins f- fill up. So if you're James Massey's age, his bin is, you know, he might have a bin the same size as me, but it's only got eight years' worth of stuff in it. I'm, I'm 44. I know I don't look at... Anyway. Uh, 47. Um, 
Oh, yeah. So my bin, my bin has 44, you know, would have 44, you know, years of stuff in it. And if I have this bin day, that's going to be overflowing. So this is the kind of world that we kind of, we kind of live in, in a world where we're supposed to show our best, we're supposed to hide away all of our rubbish. And I wonder if we know what to do with it. And I think the key question for any system for how you get through life. So here's the thing. We've got the videos, um, which you'll see at the end of the gathering, is on... Um, uh, is on Facebook at the moment. Somebody's already posted, oh, thank you so much for posting this video about joining in and joining us in church. I don't know how it uh, appeared in my feed. I do. Uh, I will stick to science and rationality and, and, uh, and, you know, and reason um, uh, for, and, and not you know, what your hokum pokum or what I can't remember what the phrase is. Now, that's okay. But actually, the key question back to that person is, that's great. Tell me how that system deals with the stuff in your bin. Tell me how science and rationality and, 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 you know, being reasonable deals with the stuff of life and deals with the times when life doesn't make sense. Because that's any, any system. Everybody, whether they are a theist or not a theist, a theist is somebody who is following God, um, has to have an answer to the question of what do you do with the, the stuff in life that goes into the bin? What do you do with the tough times, the bad times, the awful times, the evil times? What do you do with them? Where do you go with them? Because if you just let it fill up and you forever miss bin day, boy, do you have kind of a mess on your hands. It's like trying to get into a 14-year-old's bedroom to tidy it, um, you know, after six months. It's like, what has happened in here? Um, Psalm 102 will help us with this. Um, it, is, it is an invitation to bin day. Psalm 102 is an invitation to bin day. Shall we read it? Um, It's going to come on the screens, and it's also uh, in the Bibles, which are under the chairs. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud. I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high, from heaven he viewed the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. 
In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right. Lots of in, there's lots in there. Um, just a quick, let me just quickly tell you what we think that psalm is about and used for, and then let me pull out three, three applications for us. Um, the psalms came to be used as what they call the liturgy, basically the songbook, the prayers of the people of Israel. This is um, one of seven that since Jesus have been assigned a kind of a messianic status. So we'll get to that later on, but actually that point to Jesus. Um, but, but what's interesting is it's both in the singular and in the plural. Uh, and so lots of people go, so sometimes you get lots of very clever people who go things like, well, it's obviously two that have been put together. But actually what seems to make sense is that the, the afflicted person, the person whose prayer we've just read, is probably the king and is representative is, a, is the king is a representative of the whole people. Um, so the king is before God, before the people, praying this prayer, from, this lament, this prayer of affliction. And, and the communal bits are the bits about remembering who God is and what God is doing. And straight away, these aren't my, one of my three points, but there's a sense that actually when we never empty our bins alone. <laughs> you can have that as a free one. We never empty our bins alone. Uh, and so what we have is a psalm that would have been used probably in worship to bring pain before God, but to bring pain before God in the context of community. As such, um, I think there are three things that, for me, jumped out of the text that, that are kind of, uh, that show what uh, the life of a mature believer or a mature follower of Jesus would look like. To keep, to keep the illustration, do you know sometimes if you meet somebody, you meet somebody in there, um, and I'm going to see uh, a friend of mine who's 94 in a couple of weeks' time, who's been following Jesus since he was 18. Uh, and I would say that every time I've met him, and I first met him when he was about 78, um, his bin has always been empty. And, and I've got um, three points, I think, that come out of the text, or kind of practices uh, for us as followers of Jesus to make sure that we don't miss bin day. Okay? Uh, the first one is this, is put your bins out. Put your bins out. Um, the, the prayer begins, uh, I was about to read 105 there. Uh, Hear my cry, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. Um, what is really interesting is m- people with empty bins, mature followers of Jesus, are marked out as people who actually have a history and a practice of being honest before God and honest before other people. And there's an honesty in terms of the stuff of life and bringing it before God and also bringing it before God in the context of others. That's what's going on in the psalm. And when we are honest with one another and therefore honest with God, it opens up conversation. It opens up the room for misunderstanding to be removed. And it opens up a route to healing and transformation. We know that in our own relationships. As an Irishman, I can sort of like with what's happening in, in politics in Northern Ireland at the moment and what happened in the last 20 years, you can see the power of what happens when people are honest and conversations open up and reconciliation merges. So we know it works between us and it's supposed to work between us and God. And mature people who put their bins out are people who will be honest before God about what's really going on. And then the psalmist goes on from three to um, 
11 about their situation. And what they think here is this was written at a time when, and there's a, and there's a number of kings, this could have been, but uh, written when the king was severely ill. And political opponents were taking advantage of that situation. Uh, in the ancient Near East, illness is seen as some form of judgment by your God. And so if the king, who is supposedly the one God has anointed, is ill, political opponents will flow into the gap and make hay while their sun shines, as it were. And so, so it's from this place of illness and this place of brokenness, and then also this place of kind of political attack, um, that the, the psalmist um, explains their situations. Um, and, and there's this awareness of kind of like the shortness of life. My days vanish like smoke. Um, in my distress, I groan aloud. Um, and what jumped out at me on this one is the aloneness of the situation. I'm like a desert owl. I'm like a desert owl. That's verse 6. And the nature of sin, which is the state that we find ourselves in post the fall, our natural state before God, is to be alone. Um, to be alone, interestingly enough, before one another uh, and to be alone before God. And that sense of aloneness only increases when times are bad. If only people understood me, if only people cared, or if only somebody would support me, or only if. Aloneness is that kind of, that sense of aloneness is, is that sign that actually something's wrong and that we've stepped out of right relationships with one another and with God. And, and it's the key mark of actually, of our fallen nature, our sinful nature, to be alone before one another and before God. Now, I don't know about you, but I quite often like to wallow in my aloneness. I kind of like to get my bin and stand around my bin and just stand there and kick it a bit. And I might even do it in front of you, uh, but I don't want, you know, I might do it loudly so you can see that I'm not happy, but I won't, definitely won't let you look in. These are my stuff, my problems. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it can be stress and all sorts of things, and sometimes it just comes on and just feel a bit flat, and you're like, oh, and you've got your bin. And it's my bin, you're not having any of it, and he certainly isn't. Because actually, I, I come on to this, I know what he does. I know what he does when I give him my stuff. <laughs> so, so I like to kind of sit in my aloneness. But it's not what God wants for us. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells probably one of the most famous stories that he tells, the story of um, the prodigal son. It's actually about the prodigal dad, but it's about the younger son and the older brother. I don't know if you know the story, but there's this son. There are these two sons, and the younger one, who should inherit anything, goes to the father and says, can I have all of my inheritance now, and can I basically go off and live a wild life? And the father, this is not what should happen. It's a very dishonorable thing, but the father, because he loves the son, says yes. And the story goes that the son races off and squanders all of his money, and while he's got his head in a pig trough, suddenly comes to his senses and, and wonders, what am I up to? My dad loves me. I should go back there. And there's this beautiful story where the son, in honesty and vulnerability, goes back to the father who was already waiting for him. And this is the big principle of the Christian life, is that God has moved first. He's already waiting for us. That's what the cross is about. But that he invites us to come to him. He doesn't force himself on us. And so the son comes back to the father and is honest and is real and empties his bins. And the father is like, you're home. That is amazing. Forgives him and throws him a big party. And then the older brother comes in from the field. And if you use the analogy of the bin, the older brother comes in the field very much holding on to his bin, very much not wanting to give it to the father, and has a bit of a row with the father about actually how dare the father just take the, the younger son's bin off him and empty the stuff. 
because that's not fair. Because actually you should be sorting this through yourself. You should be putting the plastic in the plastic box and, and the tin in the tin box and the food in the food waste and you should be folding your cardboard and not leaving it on the side of the pavement and then maybe you're good enough to have the recyclers come. And the story is left hanging. We don't know what happens with the older brother. But the core of that story is an invitation from the father to both of them to in honesty and to, and, and to be honest, to be real, and to give their stuff over. And mature disciples are people who do that. What about me? What about you? Um, am I, especially when things go wrong, honest? And am I honest about the stuff in my heart and what's going on for me as opposed to the, what I can tell you about everything else that I think is causing that? Am I honest? And then if, if I am honest, do I, do I, and we don't do this with everybody, but with people I know and I trust, do I, do I bring that before God? Do I bring that before God? Do I put my bins out? Because if I don't put my bin out, the bin man can't empty it. And God is sovereign and all-powerful, but because he loves us, he says, will you put your bin out? And if we say, no, God, I don't want to put my bin out, he says, okay, I'll wait till you do but I'm not going to force it off you. And I know so many of us who stand there going, God, I know you want my bin. I know you want my bin, and I would like to give it to you sometime, but I'm just going to hold on to it for now. And it fills up, and it fills up, and I start standing a bit like this. And I think I'm standing straight, and you're all wondering, what is wrong with him? Mature disciples, they put their bins out, they're honest before God. Uh, And mature disciples... um, (laughs) Join in, with, join in with the recycling. Get involved in recycling. Um, or, or to, put it another, uh, to, put, <laughs> to put it another way, instead of it all being about their stuff, they make it about God's stuff. Do you see, um, if you've got the text in front of you, um, he begins and he's like, oh, hear my prayer. Do not hide your faith from me. Like, my life is like this. I feel like this. I feel so alone. I, feel, I groan. I'm in distress. And then verse 12, but you, Lord. And the psalmist's do this again and again. This is how crap my life is, forgive me, but you, Lord. And they make this move, they make this disciplined move from their situation to who God is and what God is doing. And mature disciples are people who are able to do that. And the psalmist recognizes stuff about God. He recognizes that actually God, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. So if this guy is the king, he knows that his days are short and he's not going to be king forever, but he knows that God is king forever. And then he knows that God is the God of compassion and love and who will arise. And it says, um, have compassion on Zion. Zion is the place where God dwells. It's the place of his kingdom. So he knows that God is king and that God is establishing his kingdom. And so already he's moving from his situation to putting himself in who God is and what God is doing. And then the other thing that is amazing is he knows that God responds to the prayer of the destitute, verse 17. So verse 16, the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will build his kingdom. The Lord will appear in his glory. And how will he do this? He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. In a world that says you need your best, everything must be built out of your best. Success is what matters. And how good you can be is what matters. The kingdom of God comes crashing in and says, I'm going to build what is truly beautiful, what is truly amazing, what is truly eternal out of your worst. I'm going to take the stuff that you hide away. I'm going to take the stuff that you don't want to tell anybody about. And I'm going to make something truly, wonderfully beautiful out of it. 
Will you let me have it? That's, and that's what the psalmist is kind of joining in, going, actually, this is what I'm feeling, but this is actually God, I know who you are. Good king, building your kingdom, and actually you're building it out of this stuff. You're building it out of the stuff where I can't do anything, but I know that you can. This is one of the really hard things in our culture because it's about letting go of the stuff that I want to do and the stuff that matters to me. And it's about trusting that the stuff that God wants to do and the stuff that matters to God is more important and will add more value to my life. And we live in the West in a kind of post-enlightenment, post-Christian culture that is not signed up to living for something bigger. So while I was on holidays, I started reading. I hope to finish it one day. Um, I don't know why I did a kind of um, bow when I sort of said, this huge book on the life of Alexander Hamilton. Anybody been to the musical? So I decided, I'd like to go to the musical sometime, but I decided, because I'm a bit of an idiot like this, oh, before I go to the musical, I will read the biography of Hamilton that Lin-Manuel Miranda read before he wrote the musical so that I can sit there and go, oh, yes, I see why he did that. Anyway, um, so I've signed up to this 700-page. Uh, anyway, it's brilliant. Great book. What's really interesting is America, somebody sort of charting the course of what we would call America has these three, um, these three moves in what America is for. Number, move number one is when the Puritans go, and actually they're fleeing religious persecution in this country, and they want to establish a nation where actually we live for the divine, we live for the kingdom of God, and we live for what God is doing. And what's really interesting, despite how Christian America is, that didn't last very long. The revolution is led by a bunch of people who, at their best, are deists, which means that they believe in a God who is removed and distant and not really that bothered. And so they, post-enlightenment, built a nation on the strength of what human beings can do um, and on the power of the nation. Their faith was in the nation. And so actually, up until the consensus ended after the Second World War, but up until then, it was always about the nation. And the Civil War is a war about the soul of the nation. The amendments to the Constitution are, again, about what it means to form a nation. And for them, actually, the God of America, up until post-Second World War, was not the God of the Bible, but was the God of the nation, small g. And, and that's an American um, uh, non-Christian uh, historical writer saying that. Not, that's not my rant. Since the end of the Second World War, with post-modernity, um, post-Christendom, actually, um, and, this is, and, and then things like Vietnam and then other things in a sense, the God of America has become me. And we're the same in this country. Um, me on my throne. My needs, my wants, my feelings. And as long as what I want and as long as I'm okay, well, then actually all is all right. So the idea of serving something bigger than yourself, sacrificing for something bigger than yourself, is something that our culture in the West has forgotten. And so actually when we read something like this, actually this is what my life is like, and in my culture, God, I want you to fix X and then Y and then Z, and then once, I, once I've got some proof from you that you're doing those, I might come over here and have a chat with you about your kingdom. That's how our culture wants to operate. And maybe we fall into it as well because we've been brought up in it. It's the, it's the sea we swim in. Whereas actually in the Bible, it's like, my life is X, Y, and Z, but you, God, are in charge. And this is what you're doing. And even if X, Y, and Z remains, I'm standing over here. And mature disciples are people who have learned that God is good, that his kingdom is better, and that it's not about what I want, but it's about what he wants. And it's a really hard lesson. And it takes sorting through an awful lot of stuff in the bin. And it takes an awful lot of stuff going into the bin. But as we begin to learn it, we begin to find freedom.
I've got notes. Um, <laughs> occasionally I look at them. Um, I've started reading another book uh, uh, as part of my kind of... Um, uh, well, I, was, I only read chapter one yesterday, so come back and ask me in two weeks' time if I finished it. But chapter one had a really brilliant bit in it. I've read a book about discipleship uh, in the uh, I Am Aware of How Old I Am. So it's about, it's about following Jesus in what's called your middle years. Uh, that's not the title of the book. Um, but there's this really, <laughs> a really interesting, uh, in the first chapter, there's this beautiful story uh, of a, a Greek Christian writer who was a monk. And when he first went into the monastery, he was in his early 20s. Uh, and he met a monk who was in his 90s. Uh, and he said to the monk, tell me about, you know, being a disciple. Tell me about following Jesus. And this elderly monk said, um, when I was young, I wrestled. I wrestled with the devil. And by that, he means the stuff of the world, success, fame, sex, whatever it might be, money. He said, but as I've got old, I've got tired and weak. And so has the devil. So these days, I wrestle with God. And the young monk looked at the old monk and said, you wrestle with God and you expect to win. And the old monk smiled and said, no, I wrestle with God and I hope to lose. When we are honest with God and we put the bins out, and then when we let him take the stuff and start building with it, and when we join in with what he is doing, we discover a beauty in following Jesus that's irrespective of our situation and our circumstances. We discover a beauty in just who Jesus is. And we see the stuff of our lives transformed. I grew up in a nursery, and a load of stuff used to go into a skip and get taken away. But another load of stuff used to go into a massive pile, which would become a compost heap. And that compost heap would then become, would, would become well, compost. And then it would go into a compost machine and see plants would be put in it and new life would come it's a principle in our world and it's how the kingdom works as well god wants to take the stuff of our bin recycle it transform it and build something beautiful out of it but we need to sign up to him and what he's doing and knowing that he's good and we can trust him who who's in charge of my life do i live my life for the mess over here or have i encountered the good god and what he's doing I want to join in with what he's doing. So mature disciples, they don't miss bin day. They put the bins out. They join in with the recycling. Uh, And also they... uh, I haven't got a bin analogy for this one so far. Um, They they live in the now, but they're defined by then and when. Let me say that again. They live in the now, but they're defined by then and when. So, So the psalmist goes through this bit of the psalm, he talks about who God is and what he's doing. And then he gets into this verse 18. There's a shift. Let this be written for a future generation that a people may not, uh, not yet created may praise the Lord. And he ends his psalm saying, the children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Um, lives of faith are, are, are lives that are marked out by, yes, stuff happens here. But this is not the stuff that defines us or defines me. I choose to be defined by two key points in history and my experience of them now. The first one I choose to be defined by is the cross of Jesus Christ. When actually God, to use the analogy, takes the skip of eternity and Jesus takes it to the cross. The stuff that needs to be destroyed, the stuff that needs to be removed, all goes to the cross with Jesus. 
the bin of eternity is emptied upon him. Sounds awful, and it is. But the bin of of eternity is emptied on him so that we can empty our own bins and receive his love and his freedom and his forgiveness. And we choose to let that define us. We choose to let the fact that God put all the bins out as our starting point. And then we know... So um, if I go home to the town I grew up in, you come, uh, there's a road that comes down from the airport, and then there's a ring road. And as you pass the ring road, there is this utterly beautiful park. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was about 10, that park was covered in seagulls because it was, you know, it was a, land, it was a landfill. Um, now, I don't know what's underneath the turf, actually. Some of this illustration may not work. But, you know, but actually, um, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we live for eternity that's coming. We live for when God will remake all things and make all things new. And make all things beautiful and invites us to join in. And these two points define us. The cross, when the bins are put out, and eternity, when all things are made new. And in the meantime, in the now, we live between them. We don't live alone because we live with his presence, with one another, but also his spirit through one another and in our lives. And so we live out, we live out in our hearts eternity and the cross, but we live in between the two. And we don't let the journey define us. We don't let the journey define us. So uh, we went to see my parents. uh, It feels like a couple of weeks ago now, isn't it? It's two weeks ago we were there. Or the week ago we were still there. So anyway, um, they live live a long way. It's a 2,000 mile, it was a 2,000 mile round trip. And... um, uh, uh, and they live in the south of France, which is really, really tough for them. Very hard. So do pray for my mum and dad. It's a very tough life. Um, uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, it's as cold as 18 degrees. Um, and occasionally there's a cloud. Uh, and then you're like, oh, look at that, it's a cloud. Um, but but the, drive from, the drive down uh, is, uh, it's, basically we drove the equivalent of the M5 on a, on a Saturday, you know, in, in August in France. Here, yeah, People who live in France are looking at me going, you idiots. Um, and the drive down from just south of Paris to mum and dad's is about seven and a half hours. Uh, and on the Saturday, we did it in, in eight, about eight and a half. So we were like, everybody's like, oh, you did really well. And, like, and we came back up on a Monday. Now, what we didn't know was we were coming back on the Monday after the 75th anniversary of the liberation. Uh, the liberation, the liberation of um, uh, France from the, from the Germans at the end of the Second World War, and a big national festival that they have all the time. And so, effectively, we were coming back up on a Monday at the end of a long weekend, and we were driving back up this road, which pr- with pretty much everybody from northern France. I mean, it was just French cars, and basically, we all piled into, we all kind of drove along the south coast, got to Aix and Provence, and then basically, we all decided to head north together at about twenty miles an hour. <laughs> uh, our family would. would we're spotting Dachas, which is, we call them Dacias, but a Dachas. So that was great fun because at 20 miles an hour, you can see a lot of cars. Um, but, but we got to Lyon, uh, which apparently is a beautiful city. I don't ever want to go there again. Anyway, we got to Lyon, uh, which should have been four and a half hours at about seven hours. Uh, and, and, and the lunchtime window has come and gone. And we're not stopping in Lyon because we, we're just going to get through. And, 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 and you know, we got to where we had lunch at tea time. Uh, at the time that we were supposed to be in, I'm not even going to say the name of the town we were supposed to be because I pronounced it wrong, but basically we were supposed to be north of Paris and we were like an hour north of Lyon at the time we were supposed to be there. Now, so, long story. We got to where we were going anyway. In the end, it was wonderful. But the point is, how many of us in our life go, oh, this journey I thought was going to take seven and a half hours? 
And here I am, seven and a half hours in, and I'm only halfway there. This isn't what I planned. Oh, the sat-nav has taken me on some kind of random detour. I didn't plan to go this way. And how many of us then start chuntering about that, about the experience now, and about the traffic, and about the heat, and about everything else, and da-da-da-da-da, when actually we're headed there, and we've come from there. We do it all the time. And we, you know, and actually this... It doesn't mean that it isn't frustrating when you're stuck in traffic or when life is pretty rubbish. But it, actually, this is not the journey is not what defines me. The journey is not what defines me. The cross and eternity is. And the other thing we know from Hebrews is that he's on the journey with us. So if I would actually just look up at 20 miles an hour and look over, I'll see Jesus in the car next to me going, Hey! It's Hebrews. He's back there. He's on the journey with you and he's also our destination. Don't let the now define you. Let the cross and eternity, let the presence of God define you. Right. Um, and as I said, all of this, all of this, mature disciples know that all of this is possible. They can put their bins out because of Jesus. God takes, Paul says this, God takes what the world thinks is weakness. God takes what the world thinks is foolish. And he pours it out in front of the world And he says, let me build eternity, and will you join in? That's the cross. It's shameful to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Greeks. And it's the power of God for salvation. It's where God puts our bins out. Quite often in life, I struggle to put my bin out. I like to hold on to my bin. Because I like to kind of chunter about the stuff in the bin. I like to blame other people about the stuff in the bin. Uh, and I like to, sometimes, sometimes I like to rummage through the bin and bring stuff out <laughs> and just have a kind of good luck. Uh, and all the time, Jesus is saying, will you, will you empty it, Wayne? Will you empty it? <laughs> sure as eggs as eggs, life's going to put more in. Um, and, and people who follow Jesus for a long time and do it well are people who don't miss bin day. They're honest before God. They, they join in with what God is doing. And they define themselves not by the journey, but by then and by where they're headed. And God wants the same for each and every one of us. Because everybody else in the world has one of these. And they don't quite know what to do with it. And they need to see a people who do. They need to see a people who do so they too can join in. Amen.